You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Simon Waltorton. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 35 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in my kitchen studio this week is my co-host Simon Waltorton. Hello, Simon. Hello, Carlos. Are you sure we're on 35, not 36? No, we're on 35. Do you know, you ask me that every time. I know, I just like to make sure we're uh, right on uh, the right number. Yeah, we're on the right number. Episode number 35. So, as we record this today, then, we are uh, at the 21st of October, and uh, the time is just coming up towards <laughs> 5 o'clock in the evening. Yes, and uh, the sun's going down, uh, but at the moment, we're in the middle of a um, sort of uh, the tail end of the uh, hurricane. Now, what is it? Gorgonzola? Gorgonzola. That's a cheese. <laughs> uh, big cheese. Uh, that's um, the tail ends of the hurricane remnants from uh, the US and the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, it's been quite um, severe. Um, lots of branches down and lots of uh, lorries being blown over and we've got quite a lot of um, flight cancellations, crosswind landings and go around. So Disruption everywhere. Yes, um, on the roads, in the air, on the ground. So um, lots to talk about. But um, you, made it, you made it here today, Simon. Yes, you got here yes there piece. was a lot of uh, branches and, and uh, one or two big lorries blowing about on the roads as I came over. A little bit slower today um, as the traffic is slowing right down. Um, but you've got some uh, news, interesting news about your uh, experiences uh, from yes. your holiday. Yes, I have. I've got some uh, news. I've just returned uh, from uh, our short uh, uh, five days away in Oman, and uh, we had some rather interesting experiences uh, with uh, Emirates uh, on the way out, and uh, a rather interesting experience on the way home. But we'll bring you more news on that later on the show. So, Simon, if you're ready, we're going to start, as we always do, with our rundown of the weekly news and what's been going on uh, in the UK airports and uh, airports around the world. So, if you're ready, Simon. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So kicking off this week's news then, uh, Travel Mole site this one, EasyJet are launching an app with a passport scanner. So EasyJet uh, claiming to be the first European airline to introduce a passport scanning function to its mobile app. The app now enables customers using uh, iOS or Android, uh, Android devices to scan their passport details using their mobile phone camera, making it quicker to check in. James Miller, EasyJet's head of digital, said we've developed the new function in partnership with credentials management service Jumino, or Jumio to ensure details can be scanned in easily, safely and securely. Combined with our mobile boarding passes, customers can now check in on their mobiles up to two hours before flights in 110 of the airports EasyJet flies to in and across Europe. Simon, that's, that's quite good for an hour to scan your passport. Yes, because um, normally uh, what you do is you just uh, lower it on the, uh, when they uh, scan uh, on check-in, they uh, normally turn the passport the other way and scan it as you're going through to the gate. Um, mm. So I think this is a good idea. And uh, if that, there's a way that it can be scanned on your phone and then sent directly to their 
uh, system, which I'm sure this is what's going to be happening. Um, so you're actually scanning it with your own phone, and it's going to be sent across to them. Um, it's going to save a lot of time and hopefully quicker boarding times. It should, uh, it should be good uh, to have that as an app, especially if uh, other airlines pick up on that as well, which I'm sure they all will do. Uh, one of the things I noticed actually, Simon, when, when we flew out, is that my passport runs out next year. So uh, you better get that uh, renewed because I think uh, what you're allowed, I think you're allowed about a year. Hmm. Um, so you're just in the timeline. You're yeah. allowed to have a year's worth. Well, I've of... got the old passport. You've probably got a new one. No, I've the... got the old one still. I haven't got the um, copper um, photo tag chip in it, but no. um, I know uh, uh, my daughters have, and uh, uh, my partner has. And um, it's and the picture. I don't know if you know this on the passport. Your actual picture is actually made up of your name. Mm. So when you look closely at it with a magnifying glass or with the naked eye, your actual photo is your name, and that is it. It's oh, just you look at my wife's passport. Just later. look, look, and it's just the whole <laughs> name, the whole name across the whole photo. Tell you one thing I did notice, Simon, this year is that uh, especially coming uh, coming in through Stansted, the uh, e-passport uh, check-in e-ticket. part. E-ticket. E-ticket, the e-passport um, where you go through yes, that passport fast track. control, fast track, um, was, was still queued up. Uh, we got through just as quick with uh, with my old-style passport that I've got. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean faster through, although it uh, obviously as it progresses and becomes bigger in airports, I'm sure it'll... Speed things up. Yeah. Excuse the uh, background noise. That's the uh, boiler kicking in because uh, we are in the autumn now and uh, winter <laughs> and the weather is uh, turning a bit cooler. So um, it sounds like uh, we're in an airport, but I don't mind that. <laughs> no, no, the uh, the boiler's just cut in to, to heat the hot water. We haven't turned the heating on yet. No. It's not quite cold enough for the heating to be on. But uh... So next piece of news. And this one is the London Stansted Airport site. And uh, Stansted flying high as September passenger numbers break records. So Stansted Airport has seen its largest monthly increase in passenger numbers in over eight years, as it flew over 1.8 million passengers in September, an increase of 230,000, or 14%, compared to the corresponding month last year. The annual rate of growth at the UK's fourth busiest airport has now risen to 8.4%, with over 19 million passengers passing through Stansted in the last year. The highest total since mid uh, 2010. So over, oh, me, over 1.6 million additional passengers have used Stansted since it was acquired by MAG in February 2013. Growth in September has been driven by the adding of new routes uh, such to Larnaca and Dortmund, Athens and Dundee. Increased frequencies offered by airlines on key routes such as Milan, Rome, Berlin and Dublin and passenger initiatives such as Ryanair's recently launched business product and family-friendly travel options. So, uh, yet again, Simon, we're seeing uh, good news in from airports saying there, there's more you know, increased traffic through the airports, you know, even that we are, we are sort of still in, in, a, in a credit crunch, would you say? Yes, still? a little bit, yeah. Um, but um, I think uh, the flight prices are quite a lot cheaper um, than travelling uh, in other ways, um, even by car. If you're um, on a way up to from Stansted to Scotland, for example, um, and I think you can go Ryanair for about thirty nine ninety nine one way, or 30, no, actually thirty seven ninety nine one way. So if you get that two ways, and you've got a car, um, would consider. 
possibly flying? I know you've got your travel costs each end as well to add on to that, but even so, um, it's quick and uh, you're up in the air and you're down in a lot shorter time than driving or by train. So um, it works out at a good price. Mm, Definitely. Next piece of news then, Travel Weekly. And uh, this is news again uh, for busy airports. Uh, Heathrow is saying that they've had their busiest September on record uh, with 6.58 million passengers. Blimey, Simon, that's some passengers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, using the airport up 0.3% on the same month last year. The growth is said to be again driven by airlines introducing larger and fuller and quieter aircraft. Seats per aircraft increased 0.4% to 204.8, while load factors increased 1.1 percentage points to 81%. And... Uh, Within emerging markets, passenger volumes increased 17.6% to Mexico and 14.9% to China and 10.3% to Brazil. So yet again, Simon, Heathrow Airport, they're posting uh, great uh, well, great news for themselves, aren't they? Yes, well, we, um, with the introduction of the um, Dreamliner um, and also the A380 yeah. and the uh, sort of the new Airbus A350s. Um, you've got a lot of uh, new aircraft on the uh, circuit now and um, worldwide. So, um, Especially gonna... more and more airlines now, Simon, are getting the 380s, aren't yes, they? Yes, and uh, I think that is a bit of a magnet to certain people, including me and my, uh, me, uh, myself. And, <laughs> and uh, I. <laughs> yes, and a few others, uh, friends. that I mentioned a new names, David Harris as well. And, uh, yeah, so um, that is a, a draw, I would think, and uh, a lot more efficient aircraft. So um, it just makes that a little bit easier uh, to travel in style. Definitely does. So next piece of news then, Mail Online site, this one. And uh, this is to do with something we've talked about a few episodes uh, before. This is um, about uh, the mobile usage of phones and stuff and text and mobile data usage on aircraft. And uh, they've done a survey, uh, Aero Mobile Service, uh, which is now available on 260 aircraft across 13 airlines. And they, they allow the uh, passenger, the facility, to uh, go on Twitter, Instagram, and email at 30,000 feet. These were first used on uh, Emirates flights uh, in 2008, um, Aeromobile. And they're saying that uh, over 22 million texts have been sent and over 500,000 megabytes of data um, have been used by uh, 19 million flyers uh, since the service started. Um, blimey, Simon, that's uh, that's a lot of um, browsing the internet while flying, isn't it? Yes, um, that is, and um, it's pretty uh, good having all these uh, Wi-Fi's. I think there must be public demand uh, for certain things like Wi-Fi. Um, if you're on an aircraft, it's nice to have, and um, you can just sort of pass the time away a little bit um well it doesn't bother me anyway because i just love flying um but uh, you can pass the time uh, browsing the net and um checking out anything you want really do you know what we had free what free wi-fi on our emirates flight yeah. flying out from heathrow last week yeah that's pretty free. good now how because i noticed a lot of your updates uh, as you were traveling now is that all the while while you're at um Altitude, 39,000 feet. Yes, certainly was, Simon. The, uh, as soon as we got to cruising altitude, uh, the Wi-Fi was switched on. And, and was, that could, all, uh, was that the whole holiday? Um, the whole flight, sorry? Yeah, the whole flight right until we landed at Dubai. Yep. Um, and uh, it was an offer that Emirates are running this month uh, to uh, coincide um, with a special route there they've got, uh, which I'm trying to remember now what the route was. 
Um, but they they are by offering their free Wi-Fi service on their flights, which is great. Yes. And I, I used it. Uh, you have to sign up, log yep. in. Yep. But it's all free. Yeah. And um, it was the speed was quite good, actually. It was quite good. I was actually following my, ourselves on Flight Tracker. <laughs> No, that's a surprise there. No surprises there, listeners. No, no, no. surprises at all. And I'm sure if it was uh, myself up in the air when I uh, travel the A380 and Dreamliner next year, that will be me. Oh, yes, yes. It's quite interesting, actually, Simon, with the uh, flight tracker on and you're sitting there in the plane watching yourself on flight tracker um, moving along. It's, yes. it's good, it's good. It yes. was really good. So next piece of news in uh, airportsinternational.com. Boeing um, begins production of the first 737 MAX parts. So Boeing has started production of the first 737 MAX fuselage stringers at Boeing's Fabrication Integrated Aerostructures in Auburn, Washington. Stringers run the length of the fuselage structure, giving it stability and strength. After forming, Boeing will send the stringers to Spirit Aerosystems in Wichita, Kansas for incorporation into the first 737 MAX fuselage. From there, the fuselage will be shipped to Boeing's Renton, Washington facility where Boeing employees will build the 737 MAX. The program is on track to begin final assembly of the first 737 MAX in 2015. The aircraft will be part of the flight test fleet and is scheduled to fly in 2016. The 737 MAX incorporates the latest technology CFM International Leap 1B engines, advanced technology winglets and other improvements designed to deliver the highest efficiency and reliability and passenger comfort in the single aisle market. Boeing says the 737 MAX will be 14% more fuel efficient than today's most efficient next generation 737s and 20% better than the original next generation 737s when they entered service um, first off. So this is great then, uh, Simon. We've got the picture there in front of us there of the, um, the that's a file photo of the 737 MAX. And it's got the uh, double uh, winglet. The scimitar winglets. Yes. Yeah, the new style winglets. But... Uh, Still looks very 737-ish. Uh, yes, it? but I'm um, uh, liking this uh, because this reminds me of, um, um, obviously, the uh, sort of front of the aircraft, the cockpit, as the old-fashioned uh, glass of the 737 uh, mm. versions. But if you look at the uh, wing wings, which are really nice, and the curves on this, and also then have a look at the uh, Rolls-Royce engines um, and the cowling on this look very similar to the... Um, uh, Dreamliner. CFMs, the... CFMs. That's it. There we go, look, CFM engines. Yes. Oh, but they're the, um, uh, got the uh, cowling of the... Like the uh, Dreamliner. Dreamliner. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the special. Saying. They look good though, don't they? Yes, it makes they look it really a bit good. more up to date. I look forward to hopefully flying one of those. Yes, as soon definitely. As, uh, as soon as they come online. So next piece of news, Travel Weekly and EasyJet expanding its uh, UK Amsterdam services. Uh, good news for all uh, you listeners who travel from the UK to Amsterdam. Obviously a big hub, as uh, Simon knows. Uh, EasyJet is increasing air links between UK and Holland with 154 flights each way a week from next spring. The budget carrier is opening a new base in Amsterdam with 108 flights each way to London every week. This equates to around 15 flights a day with the introduction of an additional daily flight between Amsterdam and Gatwick. There will also be two extra frequencies a week from uh, to and from Bristol. 
The creation of an Amsterdam base will also allow EasyJet to provide a new daily early morning departure to Geneva, in addition to the existing early slot to Gatwick. EasyJet's total capacity in Amsterdam will grow to 4.7 million seats a year. The airline claims to carry more than 1 million business passengers to and from Amsterdam each year. Amsterdam Schiphol will become uh, home to three Airbus A320s, uh, increasing the capacity on routes that are now served by Airbus A319. The first two aircraft to be stationed in Amsterdam... Um, I've lost my place here. <laughs> the first two aircraft to be stationed uh, in Amsterdam uh, will be uh, the A319s, and the new routes will be open to Dubrovnik, Nice, Olba, Toulouse, Venice and Hamburg. That's great then, Simon. That's one place I haven't been yet, Amsterdam Airport, but I'm pretty yes. sure you probably have. Yes, yeah. many a times, and um, most of the time I've flown uh, via, um, from, well, say, uh, via, um, via uh, Schiphol, um, Amsterdam, uh, to uh, the US, and uh, also I've uh, been to Singapore as well uh, via um, Schiphol. But um, you got the KLM City Hopper Fokker 70s. It used to be the Fokker 50 prop aircraft flying from Norwich, Um and I think Flybe, I don't know whether they still fly from Norwich to Amsterdam, from Norwich. Um, but it is uh, a lovely little um, hop over from Norwich or from uh, anywhere in the UK um, as one of the main hubs uh, for the worldwide sort of gate- gateway to the worldwide um, airports or other places. So, yeah. A nice airport, Amsterdam. Uh, yes, very, very blue, very blue with KLM, <laughs> which is their uh, home as of uh, like British Airways and Virgin Atlantic being our home uh, in this country and one or two other smaller airlines. But uh, yes, it is, um, it's a very busy airport and um, I do like the Dutch. Um, they are uh, very nice people and I've always had a pleasant experience through there. Uh, but having said that, I've... Uh, Lost my luggage. That is one of the places to lose luggage. They're, they're in Norwich <laughs> Airport. I've come back from uh, Australia and had to wait um, quite a while for my uh, luggage. I got to Amsterdam and then got sent all the way back to uh, Sydney. So um, <laughs> that's well-travelled luggage, that is. Yes, yeah, so uh, that, I wish I was going back with it. But um, we finally got the luggage um, quite a few uh, weeks later. Um, but yes, it did. Um, it came back and it went all the way back. So uh, it missed the uh, Norwich connection. Um, so it decided <laughs> to go back to uh, uh, Sydney. I bet you wish you, you, you were your luggage then. Yes, that's <laughs> what that it free just traveling. Said. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, business traveller site then, uh, Royal Brunei signs a deal with BA. So, Royal Brunei Airlines has signed an agreement with British Airways to extend its route network to include a further six UK destinations via London Heathrow. The deal, which takes effect uh, from uh, actually yesterday, will extend Royal Brunei's reach via BA's domestic fleet to Manchester, Glasgow, Leeds, Bradford, Edinburgh, Aberdeen and Belfast. Business class passengers will get access to all BA's lounges, uh, while all passengers' baggage will be checked in all the way to the end destination. Dermot Mannion, Royal uh, Brunei's deputy chairman, said... As the only airline to guarantee a 100% Dreamliner service on all long-haul flights extending our route network throughout the UK through our partnership with British Airways means that even more passengers are now able to fly in comfort to a broad range of destinations in the Middle East, Asia and Australasia. I can't say that. Australasia. Australasia. Thank you, Simon. 
Steve and I get things wrong sometimes. Yeah, that's normally me. No, that's normally you. So Royal Brunei currently operate flights from London Heathrow to 16 international destinations. And uh, from uh, this week, the uh, airline is in resuming its uh, Brunei to Ho Chi Minh service city route. And uh, that's great. So that's another uh, bit of friendship there between two large airlines there, Royal Brunei and BA. That's good. That's good. I like that. Yeah, that is. That's very good, isn't it? Excellent. So uh, the uh, next piece of news then on the Mirror site uh, is uh, regarding uh, Virgin Atlantic. This is something that uh, David Harris... Uh, yes, uh, he, he brought this up and uh, I've posted a few videos on our um, P- uh, Plain Talking UK uh, website um, on Facebook uh, to look at this. And also, um, I don't know if you Google this, its first stop and landing in the UK was at Prestwick Airport. Now, I watched a video to this and it's impressive and I'll show you this shortly. It, what it actually done, it just landed and it was packed with people. And it's a great um, video to watch of the Dreamliner. I mean, it's first touchdown by Virgin Atlantic in the UK. So, so it, was, it was coming back from the, um, it was obviously coming from the factory uh, direct from uh, the US. And uh, its first touchdown was at Prestwick Airport. And uh, he'd done a, he landed the aircraft, took it all the way to the uh, terminal, turned it around, came all the way back up and slowed, waving at all the passengers, um, uh, waving at all the spectators, and then uh, took off and headed to Gatwick. So um, I'll show you that shortly uh, when we have our break. Um, but um, the first uh, one, I'll give you its uh, registration number, is G slash V-N-E-W. So that's G-V-N-E-W, new. Or we could say Golf Victor November Echo Whiskey. <laughs> oh, we could. You're in the posh language there. We're no, talking... that's a pilot's language, Simon. Yes, all right. You, be, you being a pilot. So that uh, the, the story we're talking about then is uh, Virgin Atlantic's first stretched version of the Dreamliner arriving uh, at Gatwick Airport. And this is a Boeing 787-9-9 version of, uh, of the Dreamliner. And uh, they're going to fly the Heathrow to Boston route from October the twenty eighth. That's not that's as soon, isn't that? Well, that's, oh, oh, oh. Am I off for that? Shall we? <laughs> shall we book a flight? Um, uh, yes. <laughs> so Virgin Atlantic's first uh, jet lag busting Dreamliner aircraft arrived at Gatwick Airport after the delivery flight from Boeing's factory in the USA. So Richard Branson's airline is the first European carrier to take the larger stretched 787-9 version of the revolutionary jet lag busting plane. The $257 million jet, uh, which is named Birthday Girl, landed at Gatwick after a transatlantic trip from the manufacturer's giant Everett factory in Seattle, Washington State and will be on proving and training flights before going into service on Virgin's Heathrow-Boston route from, as we said, October the 28th. But before then, to mark its arrival and the airline's 30th birthday, Virgin will fly a private trip to Atlanta, Georgia on October the 23rd, which will feature a mid-air gig by London chart to- uh, toppers Rudimental and Gorgon City, streamed live via Wi-Fi from over the Atlantic. The plane will be configured with 31 upper-class seats, 35 premium economy, and 198 economy seats. Premium has a 232 seating and will be refreshed with new seat design and social space. 
where passengers can stretch their legs and mingle. Economy seats will be in a 333 plan and uh, will be upgraded with new class-leading Recaro 3620 model seats. Passengers throughout the plane will get access to Wi-Fi, dynamic mood lighting and the latest in-flight entertainment systems. And uh, just a quick 787-9 fact file, it uh, is up to 280 passengers it can hold, which is 16% more than the 787-8 series. has a range of 9,607 miles, uh, which is approximately London to Perth, Australia. has a wingspan of 197 feet, a length of 206 feet, a height of 56 feet, and cruises at a speed of up to Mach 0.85, which is up to 630 miles per hour, Simon. That's nearly as fast as your Mini. And has a cruise altitude of up to 43,000 feet. Wow. Pretty awesome, that one, Simon. Yes, now um, I'm going to be here looking on their website tonight when I get home, see if we've got any uh, seats left, which I very much doubt for this uh, first inaugural flight. Okay, we'll uh, get the credit cards out, Simon. So next uh, piece of news uh, on uh, the guide to sleeping in airports site and uh, the worst airports of 2014. Because we like a top 10, Simon. We, yes. we do like a top 10 on this we, site. We do like top 10s. And we do uh, one or two top 10s. And we're going to be doing a few more. Now, um, we'll read these. Um, we'll alternate. Um, I'll do one. Carlos will do one. As um, we do. Yes. Now, I've come back from airports and uh, been stuck in many a places, so. So take away our top 10. You can t- you can start, so I'll let you start. Right, in at number 10, New York City LaGuardia International Airport. So that is number 10. So at number 9, uh, we've got Berlin's Tegel International Airport in Germany. Right, the next one in at number 8 is Bagamo Oreo Al Serio International Airport, Italy, which is BGY. That's the uh, code calling share for the uh, airport. At number, se- uh, at number seven, oh, no, it's yeah, number num- seven gone. Number seven. Number seven's disappeared. <laughs> That's a that could, that could scroll down a bit. I think it's um, before number six. Hold on, there we go. Let's have a look. Let's find number six. This is, you can tell this is live. There we go. There we go. There we go. Number seven is Frankfurt-Hahn International Airport, Germany. Uh, code HNH. And at number, five, uh, number six, sorry, sorry. Number six is Paris uh, BVS uh, Till International Airport, France. BVA. And at number five is the Tashkent International Airport, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. As T-A-S, that code for that one. Yes. Um, right, the uh, next one in at number four is uh, Manila Nioi Aquino International Airport, the Philippines. Uh, their code is ML, M-N-L. And at number three, we've got uh, Kathmandu Tribhuvan International Airport in Nepal, and that code is KTM. Yes, and number two is uh, Jeddah King Abdulalas International Airport, Saudi Arabia. JED is their code. And at number one, the the in the uh, top uh, ten list of worst airports is Islamabad Benazir Bhutto International Airport in Pakistan and code ISB. So this uh, survey was put together uh, by uh, the guide to uh, sleeping in airports, and uh, they've done a survey, obviously, to uh, to 
to find these out. Thick say, as you notice, Simon, these are airport. None of these I've ever been to. No, no, no and uh, they look pretty. De- I'm looking at the photos. They look pretty depressing uh, airports to be in. So I can uh, understand <laughs> why they're in a top ten. Um, but no offence. Uh, Hopefully uh, to any of these airports, but it's just um, looking at the photos, which was why I'm saying that. A bit dark. So next uh, piece of news then, moving on, uh, Mail Online. And uh, (laughs) this is something that uh, Simon uh, picked up on before we started the show. And uh, this is regarding an EasyJet flight. And the captain asks passengers to volunteer to get off as the EasyJet plane was too heavy to fly. But if these passengers did get off, they would get £250 in compensation each. So uh, the passengers were asked to volunteer to get off an EasyJet plane because it was too heavy. The captain of the flight to Malaga from London Southend Airport in Essex said wind conditions meant the weight of the 156-passenger Airbus A319 made it dangerous to take off. Crew members asked for volunteers while the aircraft sat on the tarmac for more than an hour. and This happened last week and uh, 10 people selected to leave were offered £250 in compensation each. One flyer told Nick Peter in the Sun on Sunday paper, the biggest mystery is the fact they they asked exactly 10 passengers to leave, but some were fat and some were thin. Some had luggage and some didn't. Quite a few people put their hands up and EasyJet just selected a few at random. How can they be sure this brought the plane down to a safe weight is not very reassuring. An EasyJet spokesman told Mail Online... EasyJet can confirm that some passengers on a recent flight from London Southend to Malaga were asked to take a later flight as weather conditions at Southend meant the aircraft would be too heavy to take off with all on board. <laughs> like all airlines, we calculate weight using an average, um, high average estimates for males and females along with 20 kilos of baggage. <clears throat> In line with EU rules, the passengers who did not travel on the flight were offered £250 in compensation and a transfer onto an alternative flight to Malaga. Wow, Simon. <laughs> yes, um, now I'm going to uh, give you a bit more information on this. Um, they may not have the uh, weight of the people, but um, for each person that gets off, they've been checked in and they know exactly, and they have a list of every single person's name for each aircraft that has uh, flown, so they will take the way take away 10 people off that uh, aircraft passenger list, they will have the weights of all their um, luggage. So they can get a rough idea and calculation from the um, uh, amount of baggage that they've checked in uh, uh, just before boarding. So um, that is one way of sort of trying to get a a fairly good idea of how much um, to take off. But uh, 250, I've had that... um, well, similar to this before, where they've uh, had the uh, aircraft um, overbooked and uh, been offered money um, and done it a couple of times back from the uh, USA and uh, been bumped off the flight uh, as uh, just for some uh, compensation and another flight uh, later time or date. So, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, Simon, if you if you were booked on that flight and you'd paid, I don't know, 60 quid for your ticket, if they asked you to get off and they offered you 250 quid, that's not a bad... No, it's not. Return. It's not bad if you can get on a later flight in the evening. Uh, but having said that, you've then got to book your hotel and travel expenses. So uh, you've, there's a lot to weigh up, but um, yeah. it's still still a pretty good offer. <laughs> 
So the uh, last uh, news story then for this week, and uh, this one's on Flight Global site, and uh, Qantas have unveiled, this is a good one for Steve Isher and Grant McCarran from the Plane Tour, uh, Plane Crazy Down Under podcast, uh, Qantas have unveiled their new Airbus A330 business seat. Uh, they've unveiled the business seat that will be progressively rolled out on all their Airbus A330s from uh, later on this year. The airline has chosen a customised version of the Thompson Aero Seating Vantage XL seat designed in collaboration with Mark Newson. They'll be configured in a one-to-one layout uh, on all 28 of the airline's A330s, which operate on Asian, Hawaiian and domestic routes. A key point of difference from all other carriers is that the seat can be reclined and fitted with the mattress from uh, takeoff right through to landing. And with many business passengers enjoying a meal in the lounge prior to travelling, this means more time to rest and sleep, says Chief Executive Alan Joyce. The seats will be rolled out through uh, cabin refurbishment on the A330s that will commence in November at Qantas's heavy uh, maintenance facility in Brisbane. Qantas will also fit its internationally configured aircraft with the new Recaro economy seats and the Panasonic EX3 in-flight entertainment system throughout the cabin. Both international and domestic aircraft will also be fitted with wireless streaming entertainment systems. The first refurbished A330 will enter service in late December on domestic routes, followed one month later by the first internationally configured aircraft. The refit program is expected to be completed by mid-2016. What do you think of those seats, Simon? Uh, yes, sir, they look pretty good. You've uh, got all your USB uh, uh, sockets there and the other sockets, mm. um, power points. But um, to me, it looked a little bit cramped, having that right to your side as close as that. Um, but yeah, um, they don't look too bad. I've got to say, I've seen, I've definitely seen better business class seats yeah, than that. Not nothing against Qantas. No. Uh, don't want to upset the Australians, but I've seen some quite sort of more plusher business mm. class seats than it that. It doesn't look uh, to me. It doesn't look that um, sort of that great, does it? I like the black leather though. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that brings our uh, rundown of the news uh, for this week on the show. Yeah, um, I've got a few other little bits. We're, we're going to talk about the uh, crosswinds and cancellations for today. Um, um, so we've, we're just uh, briefly. Um, I'd like to say uh, a special hello to the uh, Vintage Heathrow um, uh, website, which is on. Uh, which I'm friends with now, and uh, we've got a lot of the old uh, control towers and uh, vintage um, Heathrow photos, um, which I am posting on our Plain Talk UK podcast site. Um, we've got some really old pictures of the VC-10s, the Tridents, uh, the Danairs, and also of uh, their control tower uh, back in the 60s and 70s, which is uh, quite impressive for the day, and uh, lots of other vintage uh, Heathrow things, and... Uh, I did say they'll give them a mention, and uh, I will put future posts on that um, Plain Talking UK website, which is our, our own uh, site. And also the um, just a little piece about the uh, sort of crosswind landings today. There will be numerous crosswind landings. Um, some uh, airports, I know Leeds is, um, is it Leeds Bradford Airport is one of the uh, airports uh, that is uh, well known for heavy crosswind landings and uh, Looking at the weather at the moment, we have got quite high winds of uh, gusts, um, 70 miles an hour plus, and could be uh, heading towards the 100 mark this evening um, as this hurricane sort of uh, passes over the UK. 
And also, uh, if anybody has um, or has listened to this, you most probably will have a look at the uh, cancellations. Um, in- to the number of oh, sorry. Number of restriction to the n- sorry, that's me. <laughs> Carry on, Simon. I'm trying to get the latest news up on the uh, weather updates. Here. Yes, uh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so um, there'll be lots of cancellations uh, today um, uh, due to the uh, high winds. And uh, I think uh, Heathrow is currently running at one in ten flights being cancelled uh, throughout the day. So, yeah, that's my last little bit um, to add to this segment, Carlos. Right, so we're going to uh, leave that segment then of the show. And uh, me and Simon are going to grab uh, a cup of tea. And we're going to come back to you, uh, well, Sam, shall we come back after this? Yep. Right, let's go. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Crash, crash, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never, not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> Don't forget, you too can contact the show and leave your messages for Simon and Carlos. Contact them via their website at www.plaintalkinguk.com or email them at plaintalkinguk at hotmail.com. Send them your messages. They really want to hear from you. God, that one was right over the top of the house, Simon. Yeah, it was. I think think that was a dreamliner. (laughs) So, uh, yes, so moving on then to the show. We're, um, um, as Simon said at the start of the show, uh, I've just come back from Oman, and we had um, an interesting trip out with Emirates from Heathrow, and uh, we um, managed to board on uh, an hour late um, because, uh, well, because basically because the flight was packed and everyone was trying to sort of cram the gate, ram the gate door, and the um, Emirates staff were trying to sort of tell people to sit down and, and board by um, seat numbers or yeah. row numbers. Or um, sort of disabled and uh, children first. first. Yeah. And uh, business class users first. Don't you just hate that? As soon as they um, announce on the tannoy, bing bong, this is a flight to um, from London Heathrow uh, to uh, Los Angeles, and we will be uh, boarding shortly. And then everybody gets up, s- gets up, mm. and even though they haven't requested which part of the aircraft they're loading first or boarding first, they right. all get up and think they're <laughs> going to be on the plane first. And you've got one little gate or what, yeah, or a couple two of doors, gates, yeah, 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 and everybody just 
flocks to the front, like a bunch of sheep trying to board the uh, aircraft. So after an hour's delay boarding, we eventually all got on board, seatbelts fastened, and um, in-flight, or the uh, sec- uh, safety um, Brief demonstration, on. which uh, on Emirates is uh, on the screen in front of you, which is quite nice. Uh, we pulled back from the gate, uh, we got about 100 yards, and stopped. And proceeded to uh, move forward again, back to the gate. And uh, the uh, captain came over the uh, intercom and told us that there'd been not one, but two separate medical emergencies on board. And they were waiting for paramedics and ambulance to arrive at the gate uh, to assist these two passengers. So, fair enough, we sat there and uh, two and a half hours later... Um, so three and a half hour delay uh, we got the clearance everything was fine they took the uh, baggage off from the passengers who were ill along with their families and um, we proceeded to uh, taxi and take off three and a half hours late from uh, London Heathrow nothing could be helped there obviously a medical emergency very important Simon um, you know it's one of those things that happen mm-hmm. but uh, we did miss our connecting flight from Dubai to Muscat in Oman. Uh, we went to the transfers desk at uh, at uh, Dubai, which is operated by Emirates for because for the airline. The transfers desk were thrusted a piece of paper uh, with uh, some uh, various teleprint type style printing on, telling us that uh, our flight had been rebooked with uh, Oman Air. So uh, we uh, took this piece of paper, asked the chap at the desk. What do we do now? He said, go to gate C at Dubai Airport, which is a huge airport, Simon, Uh, which we did, followed his instructions, took our piece of paper to gate C and uh, waited two hours for our rebooked transfer flight with with Oman Air, waited at the Oman Air uh, check-in gate at the gate there. And uh, when we went to uh, hand a piece of paper over, they asked us where our boarding passes were. Well, we hadn't got any boarding passes. All we'd been given was this piece of paper to uh, to uh, to board the aircraft. Uh, very kindly said that uh, we should have had these um, boarding passes. Uh, we should have been told to take this piece of paper to the Oman Air check-in desk, which was at another terminal, Terminal 1 in Dubai, and they would issue us boarding passes, which would then enable us to get on board this flight. But they didn't. They failed to tell us that Simon at the Emirates transfer desk didn't bother telling us. Um, so the staff at the Oman Air gate desk very kindly printed us out some boarding passes. Um, obviously, you could see we were in a bit of a, a muddle. And uh, the chap at the desk then said that our cases uh, may not get to the flight that we were then boarding because we hadn't uh, obviously checked in at this Oman Air desk. But hats off to the Oman Air staff, because we flew with them again in January. Um, they were fantastic. They pulled out all the stops. Uh, the guy uh, from the ground uh, side of things at Dubai at the gate went off uh, down to the air side, and he called up the various people that he needed to call up. And uh, fantastic chap. He managed to, and this is only by holding our flight by six minutes uh, at the gate before we took off, get our two cases from the uh, Terminal 1 over at Dubai and across to our flight, Oman Air flight, 
just in time. And we literally witnessed our cases being uh, brought to the aircraft through the window as we were sitting there. <laughs> a sigh of relief, because um, my wife Gemma was very stressed. Uh, as Simon knows, she's easily stressed, is my wife. Um, but we had a good flight, Simon, on uh, a 737 um, to uh, to Oman, Muscat, which had, I think we had about 10 people on board that aircraft. So not a huge money-making uh, flight for that uh, particular uh, leg of the journey. Um, so on the way home, uh, we had another wonderful uh, event. Um, we had our flight from Muscat, Oman to Dubai in the early hours of the morning. Um, and that was actually uh, done by a Emirates flight. That was an Airbus A330-200, um, which again um, wasn't full, Simon. That again wasn't full. Now, when, um, I, when you uh, posted that picture, I thought that was you just boarding the aircraft and you were first sitting down and then you took a picture. Oh, no, that was that was the next bit. That's the next part of the story, that one. Oh, yes. So we um, took off from Oman to Dubai. 40 minutes, jet, Simon. Yeah, we reached an altitude of 20,000 feet. So uh, we were up and down. And uh, when we landed at Dubai, uh, we taxied for quite a long while because Dubai Airport Simon, is huge. And we taxied to a part of the um, air, the airfield, uh, stopped. The air stairs went to the rear of the aircraft, and the first lot of passengers um, got off uh, and onto a bus. You know the buses, Simon, the uh, concertina buses. Concertina buses. Yes. Um, then we moved our made our way off the aircraft and got halfway down the air stairs, and um, there was no bus. And uh, we stood there for five minutes, and still no bus. And uh, 10 minutes, no bus. Uh, so I asked one of the staff, the Emirates cabin crew, I said, uh, have we got a bus taking us to the terminal? Uh, to which he replied, they've forgotten us. They haven't sent a second bus out. So uh, 15 minutes, 20 minutes passed. We were still standing on the air stairs at the back of the aircraft. But Simon, to be uh, totally honest with uh, with you and the listeners, I was in my element because I had a full full view of the whole of the apron, uh, a part of the Dubai airport, with a view of the runway, the landing runway they they were using for the aircraft to land at. So for the entire time I stood there, um, <clears throat> I was watching A three eighties, triple sevens, A three thirties landing, taxiing, um, and I had the pleasure of a triple seven three hundred ER taxi right in front of me. Now, did you get any more photos? I no. Got lots of photos. You haven't actually posted them up. I've got to post them. I've yet to post them. They're on my phone rather than the digital camera, so I've yet to post them. I will post them on our Facebook site. But uh, after 20 minutes, um, they didn't send a concertina bus. They sent us a crew bus. Oh. So You're even more excited. <laughs> so we, uh, we got on to uh, the crew bus, and uh, there was about 15 of us left. Um, so only a few of us left, but there were some quite uh, unhappy people, Simon, who obviously, like us, had a transfer flight um, back home. Um, luckily for us, ours was uh, uh, three hours away, so we didn't. We went to. I mean, I wasn't worried. I'd stand there all day, Simon. Um, as I said to my wife, I'd st- I'll stay here all day. Yes. Now I've um, experienced something similar in uh, LAX and uh, San Francisco airports, and one or two other airports in the US. And um, if you're waiting, like, uh, I haven't uh, been on the sort of apron uh, that long, 20 minutes, but 
when you're boarding an aircraft or you've got the a la carte um, where you uh, put your bags into the hold, you hold luggage into the hold, if that is uh, the right way, way to say it. Um, I've been on the uh, Dash 8 and uh, that was Horizon Alaska Airlines and I was going from LAX up to uh, Mammoth Lakes a few years back, uh, not too many years. And um, we were standing uh, waiting and uh, had the privilege of a United Airlines 757 uh, 200 version um, and the 300 version, which they, um, uh, I believe they've still actually got a few of those. Uh, David Harris will be out there and like me on this and uh, we'll find out. Um, and it is quite an experience being on the sort of tarmac of the airport. And I've had this in the, when I was in uh, Schiphol, um, when they still had the uh, Fokker 50 uh, prop aircraft in service and uh, we were waiting to board that and you take note to the apron because there's not not a lot of um times now carlos is the way you actually go out to the apron uh, on a sort of concertina bus no, or no. most of them have the little uh, tunnels tunnels yeah um but uh it is it is i think it's one of the uh, old-fashioned ways of going to the aircraft up the steps which i still prefer um obviously some people find it difficult that's why they have the uh, luden tunnels uh, from the terminal gate um and then the aircraft pushes back um so but yes i enjoy um being on the tarmac uh, in there because the smell of aviation fuel is nothing like it is there no, definitely not. And I smelt a lot of that yes, whilst we were there. And it's, um, I wish they'd done an air freshener of that smell. It'd be lovely, <laughs> wouldn't it? Because it, I'd definitely have that in my car. <laughs> I'd like to see that, so in an air freshener, yeah, yeah. The, the, the smells of jet A1 fuel. Yeah, aviation oh, fuel. Aviation fuel. So anyway, Simon, so we got, uh, we eventually got to the gate, uh, at the terminal, and uh, got our connecting flight, which was uh, operated by Qantas. Uh, another A380, 800, uh, Qantas. And as Simon said a minute ago, we boarded the flight and uh, sat in our seats at the rear of the aircraft uh, at row uh, row 80, uh, which is just behind the uh, last uh, emergency exit, um, behind the um, wing, near the rear galley, near the rear stairs that go up to first class and business. Uh, sat down and waited and waited, and uh, we they shut the doors. I looked around. There was no one else there. There was uh, me and my wife and uh, five other people in the rear section of the 380 uh, where we were sitting. And I took a picture, as Simon saw, and put it on on our Facebook. It was on our Facebook page. Yes, it was, yes. And uh, I think, uh, as a rough guess, um, there was probably around about 110, possibly 115 people on that flight coming home. Um, from Dubai to Heathrow, Simon, yep. on a 380. So I don't think Qantas made a lot of money on that flight. No, but they'll make that up somewhere else, so uh, they aren't too worried. But uh, service on Qantas, fantastic service by the flight crew. Very um, sort of uh, very happy, jovial crew. Uh, plenty of snacks, some great films, touchscreen, uh, in-flight entertainment touchscreen on there with the... Um, the handheld Do you have controls. the uh, pull-down blinds on the A380? Or yes. Are, yeah, are they, they are the pull-down blinds? Yeah, I wondered if down. they were the, uh, like the touch ones uh, no, that on no. the Dreamliner. Yeah, they had uh, they're quite large windows as well, Simon. You get a great view. Sometimes you do get um, two to three um, on your aircraft, depending on your seating uh, or whereabouts you are on the seating. I've, I've had, um, a lot of the time, I've had two and sometimes three seats, like if you get in an exit row or bulkhead. 
sometimes get two to three um, windows to look out of. So we had, the only thing I will say, Simon, was the food um, wasn't quite as good as Emirates uh, on their 380. Uh, The Qantas uh, meal was a a vegetable quiche, uh, which by the time we got it was um, not very quichey. It was a bit... um, Sloppy. Sloppy. Yes, that's the word, Simon. A bit sloppy. Um, But... uh, but they did supply us with plenty of drink. I had a lovely bottle of um, Australian red wine with my uh, with my meal, which was nice. And whilst I was watching uh, the latest Transformers film, um, they supplied me with plenty of uh, Australian cookies, which were really nice. A little pack of two cookies, Simon. Um, we had those and some uh, rice cracker snacks yes, as well. Yes, did you get any um, uh, Australian beer? They were. They did actually have Castlemaine and Fosters on board, um, but I didn't. No, I didn't have any bit because I was an, driving. Something. There is another one of that I had. I can't remember exactly what it's called. Something beginning with V, I think. Um, it's in a green can uh, with red and white flash writing. So uh, and black writing. So we'll have to uh, look into that. But it's one of their uh, well-known sort of ales. Um, but yes. Uh, um, I've flown Qantas uh, many a times uh, a few years back, and also Ansett, uh, which are no longer. Um, they were a nice little airline uh, internally for uh, fl- shuttle flights around Australia. Um, I've done Cairns, uh, Melbourne to Cairns, and also uh, Cairns to Sydney uh, using the Ansett. And they used to use the 767s, seven fives, and one or two other aircraft. So, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that was good. But so that's my that's my little bit then for uh, about my journey and the uh, issues we had. But all in all, Simon, I had a good holdy. But it's good to be back uh, to see Simon. Obviously, make sure he's uh, he's fit and well, and uh, carry on with our uh, podcasting. Yes, which we must just bring out, Simon, before we uh, bring your segment in. That we must just say that uh, we are celebrating our one year birthday soon, Simon. First birthday in two weeks in, in two weeks time. Um, so we brought our first episode of the Plain Talking UK podcast out on the 6th of November last year. That was when we released episode one. So that's a couple of weeks' time, Simon. Two weeks' time we'll be uh, presenting our <coughs> our birthday, year birthday show. Wow. <laughs> Perhaps a few uh, special, um, uh, if we can do a few special uh, things or talk about a few special things on our first birthday, we may do that. Um, possibly some uh, uh, a look at the uh, Jaguar, which used to be based at RF Coltishall. Perhaps uh, do a little uh, segment on that um, or something else um, similar, and uh, talk about um, a possible review um, of the uh, twenty fourteen. That would possibly uh, good, or we could save that for the end of the year. Oh, yeah, we'll do that at the end of the year. A rundown of our best bits of this year. Yeah, Simon. we've um, had a, quite a lot of best bits. Yes, we, really, we so. have. Yes. So Simon's going to do his uh, military aviation news. He's got a couple of bits of uh, of quite some interesting military stuff that's happened over the last week, and uh, he's going to bring that to you now.
So with this military aviation news, I'll hand you over to Simon. Thanks very much. And the first piece of news is the US Navy declares its first E-2D squadron operational. Um, the US Navy on the 10th of October announced the initial operating capability of its Northrop Grumman E-2D Advanced Hawkeye Airborne Early Warning Aircraft. Um, now this aircraft is um, a prop aircraft. And for those of you who don't uh, know... I would say it looks similar to a Fokker aircraft uh, with their sort of cockpit, and it's got a larger-than-life um, uh, twin prop. Uh, this is a twin prop aircraft, and um, it's got a large dish um, on top of the uh, rear of the fuselage, and uh, obviously an extra stabilizer similar to the uh, Space Shuttle um, 747-400. Uh, or there's a 747-200 version with the extra winglets uh, as stability and support. Um, so this is uh, designed, um, uh, this E2D improves upon its predecessors with a passive electronically scanned radar array, more powerful date links and a fourth crew member to handle mission data. So um, it's quite a nice aircraft and uh, this, this one looks as though it's actually... Um, being uh, fired off, uh, they've got a cartridge on the runway of a, a, sh a large ship, so um, it's uh, available for short takeoffs and landings and um, looks uh, uh, quite an interesting uh, aircraft. Right, the next piece of news is the Mexican Air Force 787 starts VIP conversions. The government of Mexico has acquired a Boeing 787 for operation by its Air Force, with the aircraft being configured for head-up state and other VIP transport duties. Made earlier this year, the purchase will result in the service becoming the first military upgrade to introduce the Dreamliner. Now uh, carrying Air Force markings in the registration TP01-XCMEX, the aircraft purchased by Mexico was the sixth and final test example of the 7878 and was previously named ZA006. Now that code number seems similar to the uh, ones we use in the UK, doesn't it? Like the RAF codes, you mean? Yes, that is. Mm. That's an RAF code on there. Um, Pre-delivery outfitting is now being conducted in Dallas, Texas, following the uh, 787's transfer from Boeing, Charleston site, South Carolina, earlier this month. Uh, Flight Global Assess Fleet's database record, the aircraft is powered by two General Electric GENX 1B engines first flown on uh, the 4th of October 2010. It has accumulated some 689 flight hours and 181 cycles prior to being adapted for customer use. That must be pretty smart, Simon, a 787 with a VIP interior. Yes, and the Mexican Air Force has already operated a trio of 737s and one 757-200 for VIP transport tasks. Ascend data shows. Now, I'm surprised... Um, that the UK uh, Air Force hasn't um, purchased any of these as of yet, but um, we possibly could see a few of these perhaps in the future pop up uh, for the UK. It would be good, actually. It'd be nice to see what they're like inside, the yes, VIP interior. Yes, yes, Right, the next piece of uh, news is um, Australian first MH60R arrives by C-17 Globemaster. Um, now, this is... Um, 
the new uh, the first flight of the Royal Australians Navy's Lockheed Martin Sikorsky MH60R combat helicopter has been delivered in the country from uh, NA NAS Jacksonville, Florida. Where squadron personnel have been training a Royal Australian Air Force Boeing C-17 Globemaster strategic tra- transport uh, delivered the MH60R back to. Uh, HMAS Albatross in Nowhere, South Wales, on the 14th of October, ahead of its air trials um, that are set to take place uh, from the base over the next month. Now, the aircraft uh, looks a sort of uh, grey colour here, and uh, it's got lots of the uh, covers as it's um, being assembled in the uh, hangar. The three billion, the A three billion, uh, two point seven billion uh, US dollars, uh, US. Foreign military sales acquisition of 24 of the ship-borne helicopters saw the first two expected in the US by Australia in December 2013. The new fleet will replace Australia's existing Sikorsky S-70 Seahawks and retired fleet. The entire fleet is expected to be delivered by 2017. So that's um, that looks quite similar to the um, Westland uh, Lynx, if you look at the front of it, doesn't it? <laughs> it does actually, Simon, yeah. I was just looking at that earlier. Um, you see, it's got the uh, all the the uh, radar systems on yes, the nose yes, there, and all the avionics. Um, looks quite a uh, nice aircraft, and you can tell it's new because the, the the water from the rain is uh, actually beading off the whole aircraft. <laughs> so, um, but it's got the foldable uh, rotor blades as well, yes. Simon. No, this is um, these are designed uh, for sort of putting away in hangars, and also um, for easy. Um, positioning on uh, aircraft uh, carriers so um, mm. this is ideal uh, if they need to uh, store quite a few of these on a aircraft carrier they can do this by actually just folding the uh, rotors up right the next piece of uh, news uh, closer to home now the uk deploys a reaper to the middle east um, there's lots going on in the middle east um and uh, the defense secretary has announced that the uk reaper remotely piloted aircraft systems which is the RPAS, will be deployed in the efforts to combat uh, ISIL. Um, the deployment will see the Royal Air Force um, provide additional intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance support to the Iraqi government and the coalition allies in support of the national interests and ongoing efforts to combat the ISIL. Uh, Reaper operations are expected to sh- start shortly. Now, I've actually... We were together. We Did we... Um, this is similar to a Global Hawk. Um, saw this actually. Um, it's quite an impressive aircraft here. It's got the mm. uh, prop on the rear of the uh, aircraft, and uh, those uh, missiles look a bit um, scary to me. And uh, <laughs> on this uh, photo here, but there's two of the uh, cartridges on the uh, wing on either side, which are empty, so uh, it can, can carry a lot more weapons than this. Um, I know it's a lot of money to lose the aircraft, but not having any. Um, uh, pilots on board does make it that little, little bit safer and also you've got the uh, small um, the actual small sort of undercarriage uh, very small uh, single wheel three-wheeled uh, setup configuration here and uh, looking at the aircraft you've got the big night vision uh, thing on there you've got the lights and then you've got all the secret um, stuff on there as well so there is quite a lot of um, technology on that aircraft and uh, it can protect itself and it also also got the uh, the machine guns and missiles on the uh, wings there as I said so um, 
Um, this is uh, I'll be off operating out of RAF Aquatari in Cyprus, and uh, this uh, just adds up and beef, uh, beefs up the existing surveillance assets already in the region. So yeah, that's um, quite an impressive uh, bit of uh, kit here. And um, just looking at the uh, stats for that one, Simon, the uh, MQ9 Reaper, and that was first flown in two thousand and one, actually in February. Well, it's quite um, it's quite an old um, well, not in terms of um, aircraft, but um, do you want to buy one? <laughs> Go on, hit me with it. Uh, in dollars, it'll cost you set you back for to buy an MQ nine Reaper, sixteen point nine million dollars. Um, and they're currently primary users being the USAF, um, the US Customs and Border Service, um, the Royal Air Force as Simon said, and the Italian Air Force as well uses those. <clears throat> yes. Right, um, and also um, this sort of ties in with that, and I would imagine this is why they're coming to the UK uh, and Europe. Uh, the B-52's heading to Europe for the second time this year. Now, um, have you ever, ever seen the B-52's flying at all? Not flying, just in the hangar where me and you have been at uh, Ducksford. Ducksford. Uh, yeah. I've actually seen them at Riyadh uh, and also at uh, Waddington flying and also doing their crabbing uh, um, along the runway at uh, both of these uh, air shows a few years back. And it's quite a lovely aircraft to watch. And it's you know it's in the air um, and you know it's about when you see the... Um, the black plumes of smoke coming out of those massive engines. Um, <laughs> and they're also uh, easy to spot at high altitude, um, you can see, and they do make a funny noise uh, even at high altitude. So why are these coming to Europe then, Simon? Um, well, these uh, aircraft are um, will be sent uh, to B-52 Stratoforce Force bombers to participate in an exercise noble justification this month in support of NATO allies and, pa- allies and partners. Now, I would imagine this is just sort of... Um, training exercises. Training exercises, yeah. but they're they're over here for more than that. That's all they're let, letting on about. And the bombers will practice command control, employment of the simulated conventional weapons and operations as part of the maritime component of NATO exercise taking place in the Atlantic and the Mediterranean Sea, according to release. The partic- participation of US bombers uh, in exercise noble justification, which was specially specifically requested by NATO leadership provides truly unique opportunities for our bomber crews to uh, strengthen and improve in cooperability uh, with our allies and partners and uh, while working towards uh, mutual goals. Stratcom uh, Commander Adam Cecil Haney said in the release, so uh, um, these are going to be based in the UK. So the B-52 will be a third deployment of bombers to the European continent in the last five months. In June, uh, in June, two B-2 stealth bombers were from Whiteman Air Force Base, Missouri, joined the B-52 Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana, and one B-52 from Minute Air Force Base, North Dakota, in RAF Fairford, England, for military exercises in the region. So... Do you think we'll see these coming over our heads soon, Simon? Um, That'd be lovely to see these too. Yes, because they're such an old aircraft. Uh, They're from the 1950s, and they just keep uh, upgrading these. 1952, Simon. Yes. That's before your time. Yeah, and before yours as (laughs) well. And before mine. Yeah, so, um, but uh, looking at the photos, um, they are a great aircraft, and uh, um, 
I do, I do uh, like this aircraft and stuff, so yeah. So Simon, have you got uh, any more uh, interesting bits of information for us? And we've got uh, you've got some air show. You've got the air show news. I mean, you've um, got a bit of uh, information about what's coming up um, in 2015, haven't you? Yes. Um, also, I'm going to say uh, that the Red Arrows have started in earnest of their travel, their uh, training for the 2015 season. Now, uh, this um, at the moment, they're doing the three-ship formation over Scampton, uh, Monday to Friday, weather permitting. Obviously, we're heading towards um, winter now, and um, winter training does become a bit more difficult with these high winds and uh, cold conditions, and frosty and foggy mornings. So, they've actually started um, last few weeks of the three-ship formations and also uh, one-ship formations and twos. Um, most of this is available on their website. Um, it will give you the slot times for their flying um, as they practice ready for next season, and then they'll go to uh, Cyprus uh, during the winter months in the new year um, to continue uh, with the good weather. So um, that will uh, be uh, worth uh, looking into and looking forward to. Also, I've um, had um, a lovely... Um, through uh, messages from, I want hope. Hopefully, I'll get this uh, pronounced right. It's Wolf Board Boredom Fighter Betty, which is a Pitts aircraft, and um, I've been chatting with them and uh, give them a quick mention uh, on our podcast, and uh, we'll talk about their aircraft more detail at a later date. Uh, it's uh, one of the Pitts uh, special aircraft, their uh, display aircraft, <clears throat> and um, I will just say that word again so I can get it right this time. It's Wolf Board. Boredom Fighter Betty, and it's a, um, a lovely pits which is yellow, red, and blue in colour. And um, hopefully, uh, sometime, uh, hope to see this aircraft flying, and uh, we'll get some more photos posted. They um, have said to me they're going to try and uh, get some more photos once it's authorised from the photographer. So um, that is uh, very much uh, worth sort of uh, having a look at uh, when we get the photos up. Now. Um, we did mention a few air shows uh, last episode, so um, we're just having a little look around. Uh, it's a few um, air shows. We've got New Waddington uh, next year because of the resurfacing work on the runway, so that is yeah. a bit of a letdown. I've had quite a lot of uh, feedback on that um, on my Facebook uh, with uh, friends and stuff. So um, one or two sort of flight. Uh, air shows that I will be going to and uh, hopefully um, Carlos and David Harris will be coming as well is a Biggin Hill Festival of Flight now that is on the 13th of June um, aircraft TBA to be announced and that'll be the 75th anniversary of the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight and or the Battle of Britain uh, in actual fact and um, so uh, that will be worth looking forward to now a lot of these uh, listings are um, pending uh, aircraft participation as TBA to be announced and static as to be announced as well. And then also on the 14th, which is on the Sunday, I've never been here, it's REF Cosford Air Show. It's the West Midlands' uh, largest aviation event and the Royal Air Force's only air show of 2015. So mm. that may be worth uh, going to. And uh, um, that's up in the Midlands, so... Possibly staying at Coventry somewhere or around uh, somewhere sort of similar. Um, got the uh, Riat has been announced as the 17th to the 19th of uh, 
uh, July and uh, the aircraft are to be announced on that as well and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh. Don't forget you can uh, you can go on our website can't you Simon? Yes. And you can uh, click on a link on our uh, show news for this uh, site that we use to get all our information for air shows. You can click on there. They also have <coughs> the listings on there um, for a lot of the air shows that are in Europe as well because yes. obviously there's a lot of air shows uh, in and around Europe as well, which you can, uh, for our listeners who live uh, around Europe, uh, yes. you can click on this website and it'll tell you where those air shows are. Yes, so if you need to go onto that website, it's flightlineuk, www.airshows.org.uk. I'll just repeat that, it's flightlineuk, www.airshows.org.uk, and you will get a full listings. And it will even give you the sat-nav postcode for each of these air shows. Mm. And um, obviously, uh, this is only provisional, um, a lot of these, um, because the aircraft, because uh, it is uh, still a 2014. Oh, yeah. And um, as we sort of head into the new year um, from uh, sort of January time, once things have settled down after Christmas and uh, we get into the new year, obviously the aircraft listings will um, increase and uh, get bigger as we head towards uh, the sort of uh, date of the tw- um, 2015 air show uh, season. So, yeah, it's good. So we haven't heard from him for a while. Um, he uh, joined me on the show a few episodes back uh, while Simon was on location with David Harris. But we have had a good segment sent in to us from Pilot Pip, and uh, he's got a segment, and then we're going to play that for you next. Uh, this week he's going to uh, talk to you all about uh, ILS, or Instrument Landing Systems. So we're going to bring you that segment now. And now, it's time to visit the cockpit and join the man who puts the S in safe. It's the plane safety from the flight deck segment with Captain Pip. Hey everyone, Pilot Pip here. In this segment and the next few segments, I thought we'd take a look at some of the different types of approach aids that we use. Now, generally speaking, these fall into two categories, precision approaches and non-precision approaches. And in this segment, we're going to take a look at the instrument landing system, the ILS, which is an example of a precision approach. And actually, it's by far the most common type of approach that we use these days. Now, as a general description, a precision approach provides the pilots with both vertical and horizontal guidance down to the runway, whereas a non-precision approach provides only horizontal guidance so left and right guidance rather than any up and down guidance. Now NILS is a ground-based instrument approach system that provides precision lateral and vertical guidance to an aircraft approaching and landing on a runway using a combination of uh, radio signals and in many cases it's often backed up with uh, high intensity lighting and uh, precision approach path indicators or PAPIs which are a secondary aid to help the pilot visually down onto the runway. Now, an ILS installation consists of two separate transmitters located very close to the runway, and that's a glide slope transmitter and a localizer transmitter. Now, the glide slope provides the vertical guidance, the up and down guidance, and the localizer provides the lateral, the left and right guidance. And the way it works is this. Each of the two transmitters sends out two signals on the same frequency. In fact, there are 40 frequencies or channels available for use on ILS and they're typically in the 110 megahertz range and it sends out two of these signals and each of the signals is modulated uh, at either 90 hertz or 150 hertz. 
So what you have, if you can picture it, you have two sort of lobes, like stretched out egg shapes, these two signals which stretch out from the runway and overlap a little bit. And this is true for both the glide slope and the localizer. So you have these two signals overlapping in the lateral sense and these two modulated signals overlapping in the vertical sense. And these are picked up by the aircraft's onboard receiver. And what it does, the receiver on the aircraft, it compares the two signals. And if it sees, for instance, that it's getting more of the 90 hertz modulated frequency, then it knows it's to one side of the runway. And if it's receiving more of the 150 hertz modulated frequency, then it knows it's off to the other side of the runway. And exactly the same thing is true with the glide slope. If it's receiving more of one modulation, it knows it's above the glide slope, or if it's receiving more of the other, it's below the glide slope. And the way this is displayed to the pilot is on the uh, ILS course indicator, uh, which is basically uh, a two-bar instrument. It has a, a vertical bar and a horizontal bar. And if you're drifting off to the right of the localizer, you'll see the localizer bar going to the left. The bar represents the localizer itself. So in order to recapture that, you just turn the aircraft to the left to fly towards the bar. And exactly the same thing with the glide slope. If you're below the glide slope, that bar that you're looking at in the cockpit will slowly drift upwards. So you just need to pull back on the stick a bit and let the aircraft recapture that glide slope. And more often than not, also what you'll get with the ILS is a co-located DME or distance measuring equipment, which provides you with a distance from the runway from the touchdown point. So that provides just a, an extra layer of situational awareness. Now in theory and in practice as well, the ILS can lead the aircraft all the way down to the very threshold of the runway, in fact even down onto the runway itself, depending on the aircraft capabilities and the qualifications of the crew. Now we follow the ILS down to what we call a decision altitude. And that's the altitude at which we reach and we need to be able to see the runway environment, so the threshold or the runway lighting or some part of the runway environment so we can then continue the approach visually. And for a Category 1 ILS, that decision altitude is typically 200 feet above the runway. But really the controlling factor here is what we call the RVR or the visibility, the runway visual range. And typically for a Cat 1 ILS that's 550 metres. So that means you need at least 550 metres of visibility to start the approach. So when you arrive at your decision altitude, 200 feet, if the RVR is greater than 550 metres, you'll be able to see the runway environment in front of you. Now you can also get Cat 2 ILSs, which have a lower decision altitude and lower RVRs, and you can even get Cat 3, A, B and C ILSs, which in theory let you land in near zero visibility with zero decision altitude and this is what we call auto land some aircraft have the capability to let the autopilot fly the approach all the way down and land itself on the runway now as great as that might sound there's actually one little problem with that landing in zero visibility is all very good you're rolled to the end of the runway in zero visibility but what we don't have is auto taxi so unless the pilot can see out of the window enough to taxi to the terminal you're going to be stuck on the end of the runway. So technology's not quite caught up with us there yet. We need a, an auto taxi system as well. So there you go. That's an example of a, a precision approach landing system. There are others, and there are plenty of other flavours of approaches as well, non-precision approaches, and we'll talk about some of those in the next episode. Right, but for now, it's Pilot Pip signing off. Well, thanks, Pip, for that. That was a great segment as always, and uh, enjoy listening to your segments uh, 
well, our listeners enjoy listening to your segments as well. Um, so hopefully we'll have another segment from Pip for our next episode, which will be episode 36. So Simon, uh, we're going to bring the episode to a close then for this week. Have you got any more uh, snippets of information? Uh, not really, but uh, keep your eyes to the sky because um, the aircraft um, are normally still flying around this time of the year. Um, it's now dark, just about dark outside and the trees I can just mm. see there blowing about. Um, yeah. So we'll try and keep you uh, sort of interested over the winter months. Um, things do start slowing right down now. Um, obviously, uh, a lot of the aircraft uh, having their winter servicing. I do know the Vulcan uh, um, hangar doors are now shut as they get that aircraft stripped um, down uh, for a major uh, winter overhaul and service. And um, once that is um, done, they they can actually uh, sort of get the aircraft ready for 2015. So this aircraft is, um, the doors are now shut, so there's no more viewing um, for this, uh, for the winter, which is uh, good. So, um, you know, it's just good um, that we're going to see it flying uh, for another year. I've just renewed my um, Vulcan to the Sky membership, which I've... uh, Good man. Uh, sort of uh, forgot to do, um, but uh, the money is, is winging its way towards uh, Vulcan to the Sky Trust as we speak. Um, so hopefully I'll get the card back in a few days and um, I look forward to uh, giving my contribution uh, to that. Now, we've got a thing here um, that we were looking at earlier. Now, if you're after uh, flying uh, <laughs> the Dreamliner on its inaugural flight, um, it's uh, outbound journey. This uh, is a, this is on the seven eight seven dash nine that we were yes, talking about earlier. Yes, it is. Uh, this is one of the new ones, and its first flight is uh, in the. It's taken off on the twenty eighth of October, which is next week. Next a week today. So, um, and um, how much will it cost me to travel return then, Simon, on the seven eight seven nine with Virgin? I think we're looking at. Um, is this right here? Because uh, we've got this added up here. Um, 861, 743. It doesn't make 160496, does it? Yeah, uh, including taxes and fees. Right, so you've got taxes and fees um, Yeah, added on top of that. 1,604.96. And uh, what class is that in, Simon? That's economy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to wait a little while, just a few um, weeks or perhaps months, and uh, get myself up on that Dreamliner ASAP. Um, it was probably <laughs> before my birthday in April, so I'm um, looking forward to that. Um, but it's the first one, um, Dreamliner, and it's on the uh, London Heathrow to uh, Boston. Boston um, mm. flight, and the duration of the flight is 7 hours, 20 minutes. What the... As a seven six, what what aircraft was it coming back? That, that it was Delta. Was, uh, I was on a yeah. code share with Delta. Coming back, um, or sorry, um, going out. Sorry, going. Oh no, they're both both yeah, for the Dreamliner. You, you've uh, you've set that as uh, both there on the Dreamliner because of the um, the cost there. But yes. coming, if you want to get it uh, slightly cheaper, you could travel back with uh, uh, the Delta because uh, they code share version yes. on the seven six seven two hundred. Yeah. Hmm. Um, now I'm looking here at this. Uh, now it's got outbound as eight six one seventy six. Yeah, so um, <sighs> start saving, Simon. Well, I've got a lot of uh, flight Saving miles. To do. I've got some. Well, I've got quite a lot of flight miles. I think I've got about fifteen, twenty to twenty five thousand uh, Virgin miles. So maybe I use a few of those to knock the price down. So 
So I have got some uh, some good news to give you just before we finish the show today. Yeah. And as it is our uh, first birthday in a couple of weeks' time, uh, in on the 6th of November, if to be exact, will be our first uh, year's birthday. So in a couple of weeks' time when we do uh, our episode that week, we're going to run a competition. And the competition will be to win a Plain Talking UK 2015 calendar. Wow. We have uh, we've had these uh, printed up. They're rather stunning calendars and uh we uh, have got these uh to give away as prizes and uh, me and Simon are going to get our heads together and we're going to think of some uh really difficult questions, aren't we Simon? Yes, and also um I think I'm going to f- throw a few more things in. We're going to get some more red arrows um calendars for 2015 uh, to put into that. I'll get some of them um mm. when I uh, next get a chance. And I'll see if I've got uh, one or two uh, 50th anniversary uh, red arrows things also we can chuck in as well. So uh, we may make one or two little uh, first, second and third prizes uh, mm. for this. Yeah. Um, so stay tuned and keep um, keep a listen out as uh, we approach uh, our competition. Uh, we'll give you a sort of more of an update in the next uh, few weeks, but most probably be around our birthday. Yeah. So we'll run the competition on that episode, on our uh, birthday episode. And uh, we'll get those uh, sent out uh, ready for you for 2015. So we're going to bring the uh, episode 35 to a close in of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for us on there, Plain Talking UK. And uh, f- uh, you can uh, like us on Facebook and uh, follow um, Simon. Simon does all our Facebook stuff. He's really good at that. And don't forget you can also like us as well or follow us on Twitter. Just follow us on Twitter at Plain Talking uh, UK podcast on Twitter. You can follow us on there. We uh, do sort of quite uh, frequent updates on there and you can also don't forget go to our website at uh, plaintalkinguk.com on our website you can go on there and you can uh, find out loads of information uh, about me and Simon including some pictures of uh, some rather stunning pictures of Simon taken whilst uh, he was in the Red Arrows enclosure at Ria early this year and so find us on there, plain talk, www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can also click on the Contact Us tab because we do like to hear from our listeners. Send us uh, an email via the Contact Us tab. Yes. Um, and uh, don't forget, we also have a YouTube page as well. You can go on YouTube if you search for Plain Talking UK on YouTube. There's some videos on there. Uh, we're uploading uh, new videos as and when we get some. Uh, which we'll upload on there uh, for you to see. So from uh, us here at the Plain Talking UK studio, Kitchen Studios, and uh, we're going to say goodbye uh, from episode 35. And uh, so from me, Carlos, it's a rather dark and chilly, it's nearly Christmas, goodbye. And uh, from me, Simon Walthorton, it's uh, a very uh, sort of... uh, spooky uh, Halloween time because we're getting towards Halloween uh, podcast cheerio (laughs) thanks for that Simon so uh, that's it then so we say goodbye bye bye